Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I remember being here, it wasn't that long ago, but I I remember feeling that there was something here. And uh, so what we're going to probably end up doing is contextualizing and then recontextualizing what we think this weekend is about. And I'm really looking to Mark and to Dave to add things I can't add. Uh, Hopefully I add some things that are going to benefit us all. I see myself uh, in this session actually as kind of setting language and concepts for the whole weekend. And I think... Mark is probably going to be foaming at the mouth at the end of this, and he's going to say, let's do tomorrow morning tonight, and you're going to have to stay. <laughs> we aren't going to make it to tomorrow morning. No, uh, it, it, it's going to be good. And um, uh, to say we're living in tumultuous times is a huge truth and almost an obvious understatement, right? We're living in the midst of an era shift. There is regime change in the earth. There is... Uh, new dynamics, and we are almost entirely unprepared for them. Uh, A few years ago, about three years ago, I I wrote a a short little booklet called Hindsight 2020, and in the back of it, in the appendices, I just spelled out about five or six pages of just bullet points of future trends that are coming down faster than we know, and they're they're recreating the landscape of the earth. And the thing is, all of these future trends are things that the world is talking about and the church is almost entirely ignorant of. Changes in genetics, medicine, uh, technology, uh, uh, systematic policy level changes, economic changes, uh, shifts of the most massive kind. And we're getting our first taste of it with AI. AI is going to change everything on planet Earth. And that's already begun, and it's already beyond our wisdom. It's already uh, opening a Pandora's box that the Earth has never seen, never dealt with, and it's just one of about 50 things coming. And that one thing is going to lead to 50 others. So, what we want to do over the course of this weekend, God willing, is explore in the context of a shift, what it takes to become people that are capable of producing the shift. And how to partner, that's an overused word I think at this point in the charismatic world, but I don't know a better one at this point, how to partner with heaven to Shift atmospheres, shift the conversation, shift the narrative, shift even reality itself. Because unless you understand that reality is being redefined according to an agenda and a narrative that does not have God's interest at heart, unless you understand that 
reality is being redefined in an antichrist way, then we aren't prepared to even have the conversation of shifting away from that. What it takes to create a different atmosphere. What it takes to create a different climate. And Mark will get into this much more. I, I, I know he will in terms of the power of spiritual atmosphere and spiritual climate. He just wrote a book on it. It's a fantastic resource. It's called Metaspheres. And I encourage you to get it. Uh, I'm going I'm to try to create a voc vocabulary here around the idea of realms of encounter. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share uh, a little bit that's more personal and pastoral to help you see that you belong in the story. Sometimes when we're talking at a revelatory kind of prophetic apostolic level, it can be kind of, wow, that's big, that's amazing, that's cool. And it answers certain things, it answers certain questions, but it can also isolate you if you don't feel like you're a part of that story. And so I don't want, actually everyone in here is a part of the story. And so I want to make sure first that everyone in here understands you're actually designed for the stuff we're going to talk about. There's no one in here that is not designed to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. And even if it is extreme and unusual beyond what we're used to, and, it, and we aren't even there yet, we're just barely beginning to touch that. But we have to get a paradigm for what's coming so that we can press in and not shrink back and so that we feel like we're part of the story. Amen? All right, now listen. I preach in a lot of churches. And when I go to a black church, they talk to me. I like it when they talk to me. There we are. So all you white people, talk to me. <laughs> there it is. Come on, right there. <laughs> I knew this man would come through for me. All right, Genesis 1-1, good place to start, huh? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right at the very beginning, there's revelation here because there's multiple heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens, plural, and the earth, singular. Now, I think we could make an argument about, you know, the existence of life on other planets with the earth, singular. I'm not threatened by the idea that there might be life on other planets, but what is interesting to me is verse 1 defines a multi-tiered heavenly reality. So there's multiple heavens. We see this borne out throughout Scripture. 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 2, also chapter 6, it talks about the highest heaven. Now when we say heaven, like, oh, that would be heaven to me. We kind of have this ultimate paradisical idea in mind that there's really only one thing and it's the Highest and best thing. But this says the highest heaven, so that's like the highest height. Meaning there must be other kind of heights in there. There's not just one heaven, because Scripture talks about the highest heaven. 
And when God created the heavens and the earth, clearly there's multiple heavens we're dealing with. Deuteronomy uses the language of that heaven belongs to God, but also the heaven of the heavens. So there's heaven, there's heavens, there's the highest heaven, and there's the heaven of heavens. So clearly, there's something more than just one-dimensional reality that we're meant to understand with that word heaven. Now, I'm going to, right off the bat, give you another word that will help you, I think it's helped me, get free of some of our religious baggage. So instead of using the word heaven, substitute the word realms. Okay? Because heaven, we've all been wrongly conditioned to the cloud, the harp, and the, that kind of boring version of eternity. Listen, the heavens have nothing to do with that story. You are going to be endlessly thrilled for all eternity because of the vast and incomprehensible grandeur of the natural order, much less the spiritual order, and if you peer into the heavens in the natural, it goes on and on and on and on. I might show some slides on that tomorrow. The universe is so vast, and that's the created order that fits inside the spiritual order. There is no harp that you're singing bored on a cloud. I mean, no cloud that you're singing bored on a harp. Well, you get me, whatever, I, whatever it is. So substitute realms, and it kind of frees you from that, okay, I, uh, heaven's going to be glorious. Now, what are the realms that God has created? Use that word realms. Secondly, if there are multiple heavens and we're using the word realms, then it can be helpful to think about realms within realms. And we know this. We talk in, in, in the word about the first, second, and third heaven, this is what they would call the first heaven theologically. And then the upper atmosphere, the clouds and the, you know, where the birds fly, kind of the second heaven and then out into the starry sky and somewhere that represents in a physical way the highest dimension of heaven where God dwells. But even in this lowest of all realms, you could say, there's realms within realms. We talk about the animal, plant, and mineral kingdoms. Right? Kingdom's just another word for realm, if you will. So we talk about realms. Now, I, I want to get a little more sophisticated than that, but, and I think they talk about it differently now, but back when I was in school, that's what it was, right? The animal, plant, and mineral kingdoms. Well, that's realms within the created order. If you're familiar with a lot of the language around the seven mountains, government, media, family, religion, uh, economics, uh, arts and entertainment, those things. Those are actually power structures or realms within the earthly created order. So we see even this kind of blending. They have their own identifiable characteristics. They occupy their own space in the public imagination. They have their own economic and, and uh, 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 power system. But they're made up of humans and they exist on earth. But they're realms within our realm. Then uh, in Colossians 1, we see Paul say that through God, by God, everything was created. 
in heaven and on earth, things both invisible and visible. So now we have to say, because we're such uh, concrete, linear, um, material beings. If I look in this room and I can point to things that are real and physical, you, the chair, the carpet, but there's this whole big empty thing here that's invisible. And we have a tendency to discount what we don't see, even though all of us are breathing because there's oxygen in this invisible space. And so the oxygen is invisible, but it's real and necessary and vital for life. So it's not only what we see that's real. And in fact, for God to say, for Paul to articulate that God created not just what's visible but invisible is to suggest that he has invested a whole lot of thought into what we don't see. For him to actually create what is invisible. He's architecting and engineering things beyond your senses, but that doesn't mean they aren't there. And that doesn't mean that they don't affect you. If I suck the oxygen out of this room, it doesn't matter that you don't see it leave, you're going to start to pass out. It affects you, the invisible things, and that's just in the natural. How many things when we're talking about realms of heaven, I'm just talking in the, in the human, earthly, material order right now. Now, what is he architected in the invisible world of the spirit? What's in the heavens and what's in the highest of the heavens? What's in the realms within the realms, both visible and invisible? Let me give you some starting assumptions. Number one, we've already said it, there is a spiritual realm and God dwells there with the angels. Number two, invisible does not mean less than real. It does not mean non-existent or otherwise inferior or doubtable. In fact, Paul said elsewhere to the Corinthians, Things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know how much time we spend in our lives, which are transient, trying to invest in things and create things which are transient because we can see them and so we think they're more real. But he's actually saying all the stuff you don't see is better to invest in because it's eternal. Our human frame, number three, is comprised of body, soul, and spirit. Assumption number four, the Holy Spirit ministers life to us. If you want to have life in God, you've got to get comfortable with that invisible reality. The Holy Spirit is the active personality, power, and presence of God working in you and through you and around you and for you. You don't see him, but you love him. And having not seen, but believing, you're blessed. But we stay in small realms of blessing because we don't really know how to function with that spirit because it's so much easier to get busy with the stuff we can see and do. And then we feel like we're doing something, even though often what we're doing is just building up transience. Number five, Jesus was raised from the dead into an unlimited spiritual body 
that is still corporeal. This is a great mystery. Jesus did not float into the sky and dissolve into a cloud. Right now, there is a Jewish man with a resurrected human body in that realm. In the highest of heaven's realm, you don't talk to Jesus in a non-corporeal form. He's not a little cloud sitting there by the Father who's also a little cloud. That's a wrong idea. Somehow, a man has gone through the process necessary to completely connect these two realms. And he seated there has made a way for you to be with him. So now you aren't just sitting in that chair, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. But that chair seems more real to you, and that's the problem. Because when you're in that chair, you can think of all the problems you've got, and all the circumstances that you can, you can open your wallet and see how empty it is, right? It's like, that's a problem. And so then you swirl in all of the illusory, transient dynamics of this realm. And you forget that your highest reality is in the highest realm. And you are not actually limited to that chair except in your own mind. Number six, the spiritual dimension is accessible through prayer, gifts of the Spirit, and such like that. But I know that spirit can feel like an abstract concept. It's a theorized state. For many, it kind of feels like ghost world. So I want to try to walk us through. This is that pastoral idea where I want you to see your place in the story. So I'm going to take the three realms that I grew up on, mineral, plant, and animal, and I'm going to turn those three kingdoms into five kingdoms. And I want to talk you through each very quickly, and then I'm going to move on. Okay, you all with me so far? All right. I want to talk about orders of creation. Now, orders of creation is another way of saying realms of creation. Okay? So in the realms of creation, our material existence can be understood according to this hierarchy. Instead of mineral, plant, and animal, I want to talk about three material and two immaterial realms within the created order. The first three, material, is the inanimate or elemental, which is the lowest rung. You could look at the periodic table, and you see all the atomic structure, and you see you know, iron and, and uh, copper and all these basic elements. That's the simplest form of material existence. It's elemental. You could talk about the, uh, the, the mineral kingdom there. It's the simplest expression of existence. Think about it now. Each mineral has its own unique chemical or atomic structure. So I don't, I don't know how many. They've found a few other new ones now. I don't know how many are on the current periodic table of elements. But they're all completely unique. And yet, they are as simple as you can get. 
For example, carbon is the building block of life, but it's not alive. So you move from there to animate, from inanimate to animate, from elemental to primitive life. Now you're talking about microbial and plant life, more complex structures. Plants, if you've got a green thumb and you love to grow things, they take in nourishment, they go through photosynthesis with the sun, they can breathe, if you will, they grow, they reproduce. And so by these factors, they are an entirely new expression of existence superior to the inanimate mineral elemental kingdom, right? Iron doesn't grow, reproduce, uh, uh, it, it doesn't breathe, it doesn't interact with the sun or rain. It's a dead inanimate object and now we have something that's alive. And that's pretty amazing. To take those same kinds of atoms and rearrange them and now this thing is breathing and reproducing and taking in nourishment Okay, so it's alive in the simplest terms, but it's unaware. It has no intelligence. It only has function and utility. So if we go from that to animal, simple life, the animal kingdom takes a giant leap forward from each of the others. Now I want you to see the escalation of significance, potential. The escalation of meaning that's possible. The animal kingdom moves forward in a huge way and not only possesses function, order, and life, but also awareness and instinct. Animals have various degrees of intelligence based on true cerebral function. Plants don't have brains. Animals do. Animals could even be said to have a rudimentary type of personality. Put a cat and a dog in the same room and you're going to see two very different kinds of creatures. Some people love cats. I don't know why. Y'all can talk it out later. <laughs> These personalities vary from genus to genus and species to species. Animals also grow and reproduce. They are aware, but they have no soul, at least in human terms. So these are the three... Uh, uh, levels and and what evolutionary theory would like to do is say we're the highest of the animals but we have to move to another realm to actually talk about humanity you move from inanimate to animate to animal and then from there you start to talk about spiritual existence not just material existence and in the two realms of spiritual existence the first is the soul realm. And this is advanced life. The three realms I talked about in material existence are, are, are by definition, they exist with a certain degree of potential, but mostly limitations. A plant can never aspire to become a dolphin. Right? It's just, it, it, it is entirely limited to what it is. I just talked to a guy today. I'm, I, I'm, I just talked to a guy today. He was telling me of he works in Silicon Valley, and 
he, he, he felt convicted and told everyone he was a believer, and they all hated him. And then his buddy went away on a retreat and came back and announced that he was a unicorn and everyone loved him. He aspired to be a unicorn. <laughs> I don't know why I shared that. It's just so dumb. Uh, so if material existence is, a, is, by definition, limited in its potential, the two realms of spiritual existence are not. They are statements of unlimited potential. The soul or advanced life diverges from the three-tiered ecological system that I just described. Mankind is not part of the animal kingdom. Mankind is the imago Dei, the image of God. We're in a totally different class. We have a lot of features because the same God created the whole thing. So of course there's continuity in the mind of a single creator between all of his created order. He's brilliant in his diversity, but he's unified in his presentation. So we will, of course, appear with certain commonalities to the rest of the created order. But scripture is very clear. It only says of one thing on that, on that, on that last day. Let us make man in our image. It's not said of anything else. So man is not a refined animal, but a living soul. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. This is profound for the conversation we're going to have this weekend. We are not the highest rank of a lesser dimension, but we are the beginning expression of the next dimension. We are not the lowest rank of an inferior dimension, Man is, not the, sorry, man is not the highest rank of a lesser dimension. We are the beginning expression of the next dimension. And you have to get that right from the beginning because if we're going to talk about realms and atmospheres and all this other stuff, if you think you're the highest expression of something that is filled with limits, then all you can be is who you are and that's as good as it gets. But if you are at the bottom end the glorious bottom end of something that has no limits, then all of your life is aspirational. All of your life is untapped potential. All of your life is heaven and the highest heavens, realms within realms, and you're right here, and we're looking at a billion-story building, and we're like, what button on the elevator do I want? How high can I reach? To be the Imago Dei is to reflect the characteristics and traits of God's divine nature. So in every respect, soul is higher than that of all of the best, the most glorious. You know, if you look at an elephant, an elephant is a towering, huge, glorious. You look at a, 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 a male lion roaring over his pride. Wow, it's thunderous, it's glorious. And the angels weep to look, at, to look at a little baby who's just beginning the journey of something more glorious than all of them combined. Think about 
As an example of this, there is not a single example in history of an animal taming a human. It's not there. Now why? A lion is more powerful. An elephant is bigger. Certain things are more adaptable. Some of them are very intelligent. You can look at the, the individual virtues and you should say, that elephant should intimidate the human into a certain posture of subservience, if you will. But then you go to the Ringling Brothers Circus and you see the little man with the whip, crack. The elephant jumps up on the little stool, you know. He's been tamed by a superior force. He's been dominated by a superior expression of life. The lowest human has more dominion and authority over the created order than the greatest of the animals could ever bring to bear against a human. This is a statement of stature, not size. Our stature is godlike. Our stature is divine. Our stature is brimming with possibilities of spiritual dynamics where the laws of physics don't apply. And yet, as glorious as the advanced life of soul is, there is still another dimension. And this is the dimension of supreme life, which is spirit. So beyond the soul is the supreme reality of the spirit. This is the highest order. This is not Gnosticism, which says flesh is not valuable or good. Um, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying we're fitted in, this, in our capacity to have full access from here up. And so this right here, which, which we often feel uh, weak in, I get tired, I need to go to sleep. I get hungry, I need to eat. I get tempted and I fail. I get old and my bones creak, right? And yet what we miss is uh, this suit is as well-suited to the atmosphere of heaven as a spacesuit is to an astronaut outside the space station. What does that suit say? It says that environment requires certain capabilities. And so there's a life inside and we need to adapt that person to the environment. And so we put a suit around the life so that they can exist in a range of atmospheres. If you go to the bottom of the ocean, it's a different suit. Out in outer space, it's a different suit. There's all kinds of suits for different atmospheres and climates. And our suit is made in the image of God so that we have full access to everything he is. You in your body, you can say, I wish I was taller, I wish I was skinnier, I wish I was this, I wish I was that. You're missing the point. As a human, you are privileged beyond all compare. You should never wake up and think, what is the point of life? The point of life is God. <laughs> wow! You got a suit to encounter him. You get the best of this world and all of that world. What a, 
What an amazing God. What an amazing thing that he would fashion humanity with such dignity, such potential, such sacred awareness. And yet, that's exactly the problem. We live such small lives, mostly unaware. And this is why we have to become spiritual people, not just soulish creatures. Because when we stay, as glorious as the realm of the soul is compared to the other three lower realms, if we stay in the realm of the soul, we will cheat ourselves of the riches of the Spirit. The souls of men and women isolated from God can neither comprehend nor achieve true spiritual dimension. Spirit is infinite because God is infinite. It's eternal because God is eternal. So the spirit realm is not part of the created order. It's beyond it. And that means you, in your skin suit, have access to everything in this realm and everything in every other realm. This opens up a world of possibilities. So I want to talk quickly about realms. Realms is, I, I like it as a substitute for the word heaven because it's, it's uh, at least in English, I think it's more connected to the idea of kingship. So if we're talking about realms, you only have a realm if there's a king. And so when we talk about the heavens and the heavens of the heavens, and then we say realms, I'm talking about all that's in the king's domain. Things visible and invisible that he architected and engineered and then crafted you to experience all of it. I want to talk about just a few realms. There is a realm of spiritual blessing. This realm has anointing and authority and healing in it. Ephesians, Paul just lines this out. Ephesians 1. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In heavenly realms, in heavenly places. So he has blessed us. In other words, there are blessings stored up in heavenly realms. Now, I'd like to know about those realms. That's right. That's the right response. That's like, whoa. You know, we look up because we don't know what else to do. That's kind of the idea. Raise your head. You know, he lifts our countenance. When we're down, he's like, you're looking at the wrong realm. When we're discouraged and defeated, it says he's the lifter of our head. Why? Because he wants us to set our mind on things above. It's because of this. There's a, it's, not, it's not a matter of altitude, but it is a matter of perspective and dimensionality. There are spiritual blessings in heavenly realms. Paul went on to say that Christ is there seated in heavenly places, seated in heavenly realms, far above all rulers and powers and authorities. You say, man, the devil's just got a hold of me. Something keeps beating me up. I'm under attack. I'm under this, that, and the other. He's over it all. So there is a heaven of heavens where Christ is seated, a man in the highest heavenly reality. A human man with his glorified skin suit. 
He is perfectly acclimated. And, and so when he says, I'm, go, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I'm going to the Father so that where I am, you may be there also. That's not just the end of the book when, when you know, heaven comes to earth or we all go or whatever it is. No, that is a reality you can live in now. And because Christ is seated in heavenly places, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we've been raised up. I already touched on that. You're sitting in the chair, but you're seated with him. So if he is above all rulers, powers, and authorities, how can you be in him and under those things? Because he's above those things. If we're under those things, that is a matter of our perspective and therefore the diminishment of our faith. You can only believe up to your level of revelation. You can't believe beyond it. So the whole point of a weekend like this, and especially apostolic and prophetic preaching, is to expand our revelation so that our faith can rise with it. We actually preach such small messages. We preach practical things. and I, I, I like that. I like that but I kind of wish all the churches would just have, have the marriage seminar over there and the, 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 you know, all the practical stuff, farm it out and make Sunday mornings glorious atmospheres of revelation. Make Sunday mornings preoccupied with Christ above all rulers, powers, and authorities. Fill people with an understanding. They're with him, therefore they're above all rulers, powers, and authorities. And so much of the other stuff that we labor so much to just work people through starts to happen when they move into their true authority. I love the practical stuff. All right, don't hear me wrong. He said accommodatingly. <laughs> Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against Principalities, powers, spirits of darkness, heavenly forces, where? In heavenly places. So if we're talking about a region that needs a breakthrough and we don't know how to shift into a mindset that's engaging at that level, but that's the level that is controlling the region, then you can do a thousand good things down here and never move the needle. Paul said in Ephesians 3 that through the church, the ecclesia, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to those powers where? In heavenly places. So there is a wisdom in how he made you, the Imago Dei. There is a wisdom in how he put his spirit inside you. There is a wisdom in how he has raised you up in redemption and sanctification and glory that he wants to put on display and humiliate powers in heavenly places. But we don't know how to go there. We don't really know how to have that conversation. We don't know how to expand our thinking into realms within realms. Okay. So there's spiritual blessings. Just, just imagine for a second the kind of blessing. Is there a realm of wealth 
Is there a realm of healing? Is there a realm of revelation? Is there a realm of anointing? Is there a realm of authority? Is there a realm of glory? That's the idea of God created the heavens and he stuffed them full of blessing. So there are these realms that exist and those realms are meant to be believed into and then occupied. So if I can occupy that realm, now if I can occupy a realm that has all the finances I need, all of a sudden things are coming into alignment on the earth. Because I'm not living out of an inferior dimension, but a superior supply. What kind of knowledge and innovation and technology? What about just answers? Is there a realm of answers? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> realm of answers. God, I got questions. I could go over this idea of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We've had dreams about how to pray for certain elections. We've had dreams of uh, 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 Supreme Court justices where we knew them by name before the names had been released. And so we got the name and we prayed for that person and then a week later the name is released. And it was in dispute and the name came in at the last minute and there were three others ahead of them, but we got the name and we prayed for them. And then we prayed them through into their position. I had a dream where the Lord showed me, it was a script, and he showed me passages in Psalm 2, Psalm 110, with uh, Matthew 24 as a voiceover, and Psalm 89 as the background. And in the dream, he weaved all of these things together so that God gave me my own little commentary on how these passages work together. And I, under, I woke up with more understanding than I've ever had. Of all of them. Well, how cool is that? <laughs> like, I didn't pay for seminary, right? I didn't, I didn't file for the Psalm 2, 110 class. I got it from a realm of wisdom and understanding where God himself was instructing me in my dreams. There's a spiritual realm of weapons. <clears throat> Yeah, a spiritual realm of weapons. Jeremiah 50, 25 says, the Lord God has opened up his armory because he has weapons. He has weapons because he has a work to do. A friend of ours, Mark and I, I just heard this dream tonight. He has these glorious dreams. How about this dream? He was sitting on the throne by the Father. What a dream, right? He's sitting on the throne by the Father, and he's just in the moment with the Father, but he kind of notices back here, around behind the throne, there's a little light. And he goes, he's drawn to it, and he goes over, and he goes in, it's a little door, and he goes in, and he steps into the armory of heaven. And the walls are covered with weapons that he's never seen before. He doesn't understand them, he wanted to take one, but they were vibrating with so much power, he thought he would die if he touched one. They were, there were so many weapons, and they were all new, and they were just literally vibrating with power. Now, if we go back over time, a good weapon 
back in the days of Cain and Abel was a rock over the head. But then you grew to a, 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 a flint dagger, to a bronze sword, to an English longbow, to uh, cannons and then gunpowder, and now we have, you know, fighter jets and drones. Think about the evolution of those. They escalated to the times, and the skill sets changed. Pure brute force could win a sword fight, but a certain degree of dexterity and patience and breath, fine motor skills was required for accuracy with a bow and arrow. And so with each generation of weaponry, not only do the skill sets change, the people change, but you quickly move through different eras by virtue of the available weapons. In other words, I don't care how many armed Assyrians, you can bring a million armed Assyrians at the height of the Bronze Age, foaming at the mouth against me in war, and I'll take an F-35 with a, you know, with an armed F-35 and I'll win. One pilot with an armed F-35 and the million-man army doesn't matter. In other words, they just get more and more powerful based on the needs of the age. And if you're relying on old weapons, then we need an armory visit. We need to know how to go to a realm that gets that, where, where new power is deployed. I don't know what that looks like. But I suspect cancer bows the knee to that kind of armory. I suspect that there are breakthroughs in, in areas where China rattling the saber at Taiwan and, and Xi is a, a, a force to be reckoned with, but intercessors lay hold of something in the heavens and something shifts. It doesn't always look like a weapon, but we can lay hold of weapons when we know how to visit the armory. There's a realm of agreement. There's a realm of agreement. It's interesting in Revelation 21, 17, there's a, there's a verse that describes human measurement as being the measurement of the angels. It says the angel measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. In other words, there's a point in time where all of the injustices the unjust scales, the things that are out of whack on earth, a foot on earth is going to equal a foot in heaven, and a foot in heaven is going to equal a foot on earth. There is an agreement between this realm and that realm, even to the degree that we measure things. And I'm not talking about a literal ruler. I'm talking about what we value, our priorities, the investments we make, the things we say are important, Heaven will say, yes, that's important. And the things we say aren't important, heaven will say, no, that's not important. Why? Because we've been conformed to that realm. And so now there's agreement on earth as it is in heaven. And the end of the story is saying, you can measure there, you can measure here. It's all the same. When it says in Hebrews 11... That Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. 
when they take the assessment and they measure it out. See, there's an eternal realm. And it has a certain kind of scope and symmetry. It has certain priorities and values. And when we go to that realm, we start to build on earth in a way that looks like that. There's also human agreement. So that's agreement between the human and the divine. But there's also human agreement. Jesus was very clear in Matthew 18 where two or three agree together. He's in their midst. If you think about the Tower of Babel, they were touching a realm of agreement. And the shock of what God says about that. There's nothing that they can't do. Nothing they can't do. Now this is fallen humans, wicked humans, but they're at the, as the Imago Dei, they're at the beginning of infinite possibilities. So what we were talking about earlier. They're the, they're, they're, they're not the highest realm of limited possibilities. They're the first expression of infinite possibilities. And so even in their wickedness, if they can agree together, God himself said they can do it all. And because they were so powerful in their agreement and their agreement was based on wickedness, he had to disrupt them. He had to make them disagree. That's what the languages was about. It was forcing disagreement into the power of their agreement. So Jesus comes along and says, guys, if just two or three of you agree together, you just have no idea what? That I'll be in your midst. And he's making a realm statement. He's saying, if you do that, there's something about the heavens, there's something about where I'm seated, there's something about my power and my spirit that whether it invades this realm or the veil just thins and we realize it was always there, there's something about his nearness in our agreement that changes the story. Okay, I'm going to speed up. Two more realms. Old realms versus new realms. This is the problem of mindsets and paradigms. Just look at uh, Hebrews 12 real quick. I'm going to try to speed up. But listen, I, I, I'm not going to apologize, okay? I, I, I want us to get something. And so you're here presumably because you want something. And so this weekend is about going someplace together, and, and I don't want to be dominated by the realm of the clock. Okay? So Hebrews 12. For you have not come, uh, verse 18, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. You know all that. It's talking about a, a certain realm, if you will. Verse 22, but you have come. You have come. Say, I have come. Here's what you've come to. There's nine things that you've come to. You have come to Mount Zion, number one. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. You've come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all. 
You've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and you've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This, this is just loaded with different expressions of spiritual realities. The power of the blood. The, the assembly of those enrolled in another realm. Festal angels in festal, innumerable angels. You've come to that place where angels are dancing. To Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem. This thing might as well have said, you've come to nine different realms. How much do you want to know of each of them? And here's what's interesting. These nine things that we have come to They're all from these heavenly realms. They aren't from earth, but they extend to the earth. So in other words, he couldn't tell you you've come to them if you weren't able to come to them. So you have to read that and see, right where I am, I've come to those things. So in a sense, it's it's describing what what, what has come to us, if you will, See, we couldn't actually come to those things on our own, so they've come to us, therefore we've come to them, but we have to press into those things. How many of you could say, go down that list of nine things and just check it off? Well, I did the, I, I've had that experience, I've had that experience, right? Really enjoyed the angels dancing. No, clearly this is describing something that's almost like architected in the invisible realm. It's right there, but because we don't see it, we so easily move on to all the stuff we can see. Now you've come to, this. that's one of the most, the richest scriptures of spiritual reality and potential, and we kind of glaze over it and say, that's beautiful poetry. friend of mine had a dream, and in the dream he saw fireworks and new colors and spatial dimensions that were all connected to Melchizedek, but they were limited to us. Fireworks, spatial dimensions, and colors. Close your eyes for a second. Everyone close your eyes. Now imagine a new color. Okay, you can open your eyes. Because I'm not going to leave you there long enough to think you can do that. Someone back at the back going, huh? I think I can. No, any color you can imagine is only because you already have the frame of reference of that color. But we know on the spectrum of sound and the electromagnetic frequency, we have a narrow band of what we can hear and see. But there are sounds and colors happening all around that just go beyond our senses. But Hebrews says we can, or maybe it was uh, to the Corinthians, we can train our senses to discern in those realms. So, in other words, we can get upgrades to our skin suit. That's pretty cool. We can get upgrades This has to do with the the paradigms. Most of the time, our limitation 
is not actually a matter of genetics, but faith. Your ears are actually very capable. There's a, the, there was a consequence of the fall, but the power of Christ in redemption is so much more, Romans 5 says. Christ is so much more in his ability to redeem you than Adam was in his ability to condemn you. So here we are again at the realm of infinite possibilities. What could my ears hear? You hear stories all the time when the presence of the Lord comes in and people say, I smell roses, or there's a fragrance, or there's colors. Well, were those not there before, or are people just being tap? are they just tapping in, however briefly, with senses that we're all meant to have? What did Jesus see when he saw a demonized man? What did he see? Did he just see the person thrashing or did he see into the spirit and know exactly what the demon was? What are the possibilities for your life having immeasurably more impact and corporately the church in Iowa governing the affairs of the state? What does an atmosphere of faith and revolution, uh, revelation have the ability to produce? I talked about Melchizedek. I just want to touch on this and then I'll close. It's painful to read in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews and then Paul to the Corinthians. There's two different times where he basically says the same thing. To the Corinthians he says, man, I really want to talk to you more about this. But I can't, you're unskilled. And then to the Hebrews he starts to talk about Melchizedek. And then he says, actually, I can't talk to you more. You should be able to eat meat by now, but you're stuck on milk. And then he goes over. He goes over and he describes, I, I, I don't know if I have it here or not. Let me just see if I have it here. Yeah. In Hebrews 5, he says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about washing, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I look at that list and I think, that's actually an advanced course today. We don't actually talk about that stuff. And he says... That's actually the basic stuff that we should be so far beyond and if we were actually pressing into these other dimensions of the wisdom and revelation of God, the infinite possibilities, he says Melchizedek becomes something I could really unpack this to you guys, but I can't, sorry. And then he moves on. You're like, I want to hear that message. Tell me about Melchizedek. Well, I think the Lord is starting to do this, just like my Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 dream. There is, listen, let me assure you, this revelation is coming. The Lord is going to bring us forward. He has allowed us to reach the end of our rope. We're out of good ideas. COVID has helped make very clear 
What we thought was working for 30 years actually wasn't working that well, but we thought it was enough until COVID came along. 168 hours in the week, COVID came along and took, the, took, took away our precious two hours on Sunday morning. We're like, what do we do? We're all out of ideas. 168 hours in the week. I'm going to take away those two hours. And the church goes, <laughs> Zoom, we'll Zoom. That's what we'll do, we'll Zoom. I love Zoom. But what is it that we have satisfied our with ourselves with for so long we don't even realize how anemic we are. We don't even realize how shriveled our spirits are. We don't realize how depleted and nutritionally poor our diet has been. And so we come to something like this, and I want to tell you, it's so big, and therefore don't worry about it, because none of us can get there. And so God's going to pour out his spirit. And at the same time, there is a response we have to make. We have to make a response in the spirit to this invitation, to the possibility of living in infinite dimensions, to the vernacular of, uh, of different realms and languages. We have to be willing to move past so much of the stunted language of churchianity whose ambition is no greater than getting a new color of carpet. No, I'm serious, Right? We have defined success in Christianity as a full room of children. And there is an infinite God of infinite glory and beauty who's saying, come on, I want you to come to something. I've brought something to you, and now I want you to come to something. And he's disrupting our systems. He's disrupting our comfortable routines. He's unsettling us. And don't wish for normal. Don't waste a good crisis saying, if we could just get back to normal. This is the most glorious disruption and in the pain and the vacuum it has created in our souls, we can say, Lord, come. And he says, I'm gonna show you what I brought to you so that you can come too. And he's gonna pour out his spirit in increasing measures. I'm not talking about a flash in the pan revival. I'm talking about the sustained presence of God drawing near. And these realms start to open up to us. I just talked with a friend in... in uh, Taiwan, who's there literally on a 30-day prayer strike to shift China's ambitions towards Taiwan in the spirit. They're tapping into a realm to say, no, you aren't going to invade, at least to delay it. And, and in this process, he said, our dreams have moved to an entirely new dimension. He said, we've had probably 200 dreams in, the, in this period of time and in three of them, multiple people are having the same dream and seeing each other in their dreams. That's a realm. They're going someplace at night, and the dream isn't a fabrication of, of neurons and synapses. 
It is the skin suit doing its job as a portal between dimensions and their portal experience is just aligning so that they, they see each other. And they have the dream and now it's a witness in the spirit. This dream matters. Right? Agreement. Now this is a paradigm shift so we need a, a I don't want the old realm paradigm. I want the new realm paradigm. And it's going to be fully rooted in the word. It's going to be established in the word. But it is going to lift uh, verses and principles to new uh, uh, territories of understanding. That are going to cause us to see what we haven't seen before. And our faith is going to fill that extra space. All right. John 14, really, I'll close with this. I touched on it. Jesus said, where I am, I want you to be also. Where I am, I want you to be also. Present tense, good point. He is describing a reality that Jesus himself lived in. Have you ever thought Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. Did you ever in scripture see the father standing beside Jesus? So what's Jesus talking about? He's saying, I'm in one realm that you guys can see. But I'm actually designed in my humanity to be in another realm that you can't see. But I see it. So I see what my father is saying and doing. I'm just doing what he's saying and doing. You don't see him, but I do because I see into that realm. But you are built for that. That is not just the the right of the Son of God. His favorite title was Son of Man. He came not to show what God can do, but what man was built for. In his atonement and in his redemption, he did what only God can do. But in his human life, the supernatural realm he walked in was to show the original design for you and I. So whatever he did, that is an invitation to you to move into that infinite realm of possibilities. When he says, where I am, you may be also, where is God and what is God? God is spirit. So you and I have got to move from the soul realm to the spirit realm. And when we do, we will find realms within realms within realms. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.